0: You know, I'm going to be transparent with you here for a few moments and just tell you that I believe the Sunday after Easter is the most challenging Sunday of the whole year because it is impossible to live up to the hype of Easter. It just is impossible. Last Sunday, there were just south of 1,200 people here for Sunday morning. That, that means that we had about 400 guests with us last weekend, uh, or individuals that only come about once a year or so, at about just 1,200, and that's not including those who came out on Friday night, Saturday afternoon, and Saturday night for the drama. If you combined all of those services together, we had just about, if not a little more than 3,000 people here last weekend. So it was just a great weekend, and, and it was exciting. And don't, you know, don't take me wrong. I'm thankful for the day we had, but boy, does it make it hard to come back the next Sunday because you come crashing back to reality, and sometimes that reality really, really stings, you know. And uh, I'm just glad we got a great audience here today, and thank you so much for being here. And uh, we saw a lot of people respond to faith last weekend and the weekend before that. And so we're very thankful. But uh, I sometimes feel like the Sunday after Easter is a lot like when Jesus healed the 10 lepers in Luke 17. Remember, he heals them and then one comes back and says, thank you. And Jesus said, wait a minute, didn't I heal 10? Where are the other nine of you? Only one of you came back And that's just kind of how it feels like on the Sunday after Easter because you know that all over the United States there were hundreds of thousands of guests that descended upon houses of worship and they affirmed the resurrection of Jesus Christ and affirmed that there is only one name given by which man may be saved and they were excited about it. But where are they this Sunday? Where were they Monday morning? Where is that zeal? Where is that passion? Where is that thrill? Where is that, you know, desire to serve the Lord the day after, let alone the week after? Where is that? You know, I love Easter. Don't misunderstand me. This is not a criticism. It's just an observation, but you know, I love Easter, but sometimes it can be a real letdown. Because there are many of you that invited family and friends and loved ones and coworkers and people that you've been witnessing to for years and you invited them to come out to the drama or you invited them to come out to Easter service and some of them came, but there was no response at all to the gospel. And I think that probably one of the haunting questions that just antagonizes true disciples of Jesus Christ is how is it possible that someone could hear a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a clear, compassionate, intelligent, and biblical presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and just walk away from it rejecting it? How is that possible? In our minds, we just think, if, if it's just that clear, if it's just that biblical, if it's just that compassionate, how could someone hear that and just harden their heart and walk right on? Or, or even look at you and say, what a great story, but that's not where I'm at. It just haunts us. How is that possible? Let me offer you an illustration. Maybe it'll help you with it. Let's say that there are a group of buddies, and they have grown up together. They've gone through high school together, even went to college together. And they have spent all of their lives together. They have built up a wonderful camaraderie. And all of them are married except one. And they all are feeling bad for him because he's alone and, and whenever they're all together, he just kind of doesn't fit in and they want him to be in that relationship. And so they collaborate with their wives, the matchmakers, and, and they, they find a young lady that they really think that he will connect with. And so one night they go over to their buddy's house and they say, listen, we know that you're not into blind dates. But we met a young lady that we think you would really connect well with. She's attractive. She's got a wonderful personality, a great sense of humor. You have similar interests, similar backgrounds, and we just really think you would click with her. Would you mind going out one time with her and see how it would go? And the guy says, you know what? I really don't like blind dates, but you know what? I'm not that busy right now, and for you guys, I'd be willing. And so the night comes, and he goes out with her, and the guys can't wait to meet up with him the next day. And the next day, they go out to him, and they they say, all right, well, tell us how it was. And he says, you know what? i got to admit to you, I had a really good time. She was everything that you said she would be. She was attractive. She had a wonderful personality, a great sense of humor. We really connected, and I really enjoyed myself. And the guys are elated. And they say, that's fantastic. When are you going to go out with her again? And he says, I'm not. And they go, what? And they're deflated now. And they said, you just told us you had a wonderful time. And he said, I did. Well, then why are you going out with her? And he says, guys, guys. You've been making the same mistake that you've been making all of these years. You think that I want to get married. I don't want to get married. I don't want to be in a relationship. The issue has never been that there were not ladies that I could not have spent my life with. I just don't want to spend my life with anybody. I like being my own person. I like going to bed when I want to go to bed, and getting up when I want to get up. I like eating what I want to eat. I like going where I want to go, doing what I want to do, saying what I want to say, and having not to answer to anybody or get anybody's permission. I like being alone. And right now, a young lady in my life would be a major inconvenience To the way I want to live. It's not that I can't find someone to be with. It's just I don't want to be with anyone. I like living my life the way that I do. And that is why men and women can hear a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And walk right away from it. And we just are baffled. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think Jesus is a really cool guy. And I'm sure he can do everything that he said he can do. And I'm sure that he could change my life. But you have me mistaken with someone who wants to be married. You have me mistaken with somebody that wants to settle down. The reality is I want to live my life the way I want to live it. And right now Jesus would be a major inconvenience in my life. I like doing what I want to do. I like saying what I want to say, seeing what I want to see, going out with who I want to go out with, marrying who I want to marry. I want to call the shots. I like being the God of my life. It's not that I don't believe these things. I do believe them, And I think that Jesus is a great guy. I just don't want to settle down. I don't want to marry Him. And that is so frustrating to us. Because we just want them to marry into Christ, but they have no interest in it. And all of us just have to respect the fact that everyone, everyone has a free will. And there are some people that no matter what we say to them, they've determined at least at this point in their life, I don't want to settle down and live for Jesus. I want to live for myself. I want to be God of my own life. And boy, I'm telling you, if you have family and friends and loved ones and co-workers that you've been witnessing to for decades, it can be frustrating when they live like that because you know how dangerous it is for them to live in that condition. But that's where many people are today. It's not that they don't believe in Jesus. It's not that they don't believe that he died and rose again. It's just, I don't want to settle down and live for the glory of God. Now, believe it or not, This message this morning is going to be directed more to those of us who are professing Christians. But before I transition over to that, I want to speak to anyone that might be here today that is kind of living like I just described a moment ago. Because in an audience this size this morning, I would have to say that there are some that are here that are living in that place. You know, that's kind of where you're at. In fact, while I was going through it, you've said, I never articulated it that way, but that is exactly how I feel. That is exactly how I'm living. I'm just not ready to settle down. I believe in God. I believe in Christ. I believe that He died and rose again. I just... I don't want to surrender my life to God at that point. And if you'll just allow me a second, I'd like to talk to you. Uh, because I'm very concerned. And as a pastor and as just a Christian, I, I feel that I want to offer something for you to think about. I, I would like you for to at least be consider this, I guess I would say. Um, I, am, I am very respectful of your free will. And I'm very respectful of the fact that you've made that decision right now and that you're choosing to be open and honest and sincere about where you're at. But I just don't want you in any way, shape or form to be deceived and think that your honesty and your transparency is going to give you a pass before God. And and the reason I say that is because I think in the climate that we're in, spiritually speaking today, in the United States of America, it would be very easy for some of you to just enter into eternity and think that somehow your honesty and your uh, transparency before God will will count for something and that God will just let you in. We live in a really weird spirituality today in the United States where men and women will openly say, I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious. And I believe that there are many ways to enjoy your spirituality without really connecting to any one particular religion. In fact, I was reading an article the other day of the main reason that millennials are not attending church anymore. It's because they believe that they can find God everywhere. That I can find God in my photography. And I can find God in my art. And I can find God in my family. And I can find God in my kids. And I can find God in nature. In fact, I was just talking to a millennial not long ago who said to me, I don't need to go to church to know God. I can go out for a, a, a walk in the woods and after hours I can feel connected with God there. I don't need to be in Christ. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be involved in a religious community. God is everywhere. Forget the fact that the Bible says do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together as it is with the custom of many. But even more so as you see the day approaching, they would just say I I can connect with God anywhere. And so now with this spirituality, I think that there are many people that feel God would never send me into an eternity separated from God, especially if I'm being open and honest. So they're going to go into eternity saying, God, I know that I didn't surrender my life to you, but it wasn't that I was hostile towards you. I just wasn't ready to settle down. And God's going to say, oh, that's fine, come on in. God's going to say, listen, I appreciate your honesty and I appreciate your sincerity, but you're sincerely and honestly wrong. You rebelled against me. Oh, no, God, I didn't rebel against you. I believed you. God says, no, 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 no. You never surrendered your life to me. And I gave you a lifetime to humble yourself and come into my kingdom. But you chose to reject me. And now I have to say to you, I never knew you. Depart from me. You worker of iniquity. And they will be lost for all of eternity. And so I know that it's a hard pill to swallow. And I know that you might even go away saying, that pastor is just trying to scare me out of hell. No, I'm not. You need to know that I appreciate the fact that you're on a journey But you're on a path on that journey that is leading you to eternal destruction. And if anything were to happen to you before you humble yourself before God, you will be lost forever. And I don't want that blood to be upon my hands. So I'm making it clear that even though you are free to be here and I want you to come here and explore the faith with us, I don't want you to be deceived into thinking that somehow you'll get a pass It is appointed unto man once to die and then after that the judgment. And I just want you to consider those things. Because every second you live without Christ is a second your heart is getting harder and harder and harder. Now, I'm not talking to them. (laughs) I'm talking to those of us who are professing Christians. Because even though I am concerned about the lost, and I certainly am concerned about the lost... I am concerned about those of us who may be sitting here today who are treating our faith the same way they do. Because I wonder every day, really, as the senior pastor here at Bethel, how many of you sitting here just like dating Jesus but have no intention of marrying Him? I wonder how many of you You like dating Jesus in this, that you like Jesus there when you're lonely. You like Jesus there when there's a crisis. You like Jesus there when there's nobody else around, but you have a side thing going with other lovers. And you really have never settled down and married Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I believe that the whole illustration of marriage is is excellent because not only is the church recognized in Scripture as the body of Christ, but it is also recognized as the bride of Christ. Becoming a Christian is a lot like being married. It is a marriage, but understand that it would be marriage as God understands it or as Christ would have understood it. And that is to say that this marriage would have begun with a betrothal period where there would be time to develop purity and faithfulness that would then be followed by the actual wedding ceremony when the marriage would be ultimately consummated. For Christians living here and now, living right here on planet earth, we are betrothed to Christ. We are the betrothed a bride of Jesus Christ. And all of our days here on this earth are to be committed to purity in this world, living faithful lives to our groom so that one day we might be with Christ where our salvation will culminate with what is known as the great marriage feast. The Bible speaks about it in Revelation chapter 19, beginning with verse number 6. John says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, and Alleluia obviously is hallelujah, which means praise the Lord, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife, the church, has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen, listen to this, is the righteous acts of the saints. Isn't that interesting? It is true that when we come to Christ, we are clothed in robes of righteousness that we cannot gain on our own. And yet... As we live for Christ, those righteous acts still become part of our wedding gown. Then he said to me, "Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of Almighty God. Now, it's important to understand that this marriage supper of the Lamb is in the future. This comes after the resurrection of the dead in Christ, followed by the resurrection uh, The rapture, excuse me, of those who are alive and remain on the earth until the coming of the Lord. This is when we are gathered up together and our salvation is complete. I had mentioned it, I think, a couple of weeks ago. There is a sense in which we are saved... We are being saved and we will be saved. Our salvation is not yet complete. It will not be until we stand before Jesus Christ face to face. And in that moment, our salvation will be culminated in this great marriage feast of the Lamb of God. The one who has taken away the sins of the world. And how many of you are looking forward to that great celebration one day? But that is in the future. We live lives now of separation. We are the betrothed of Christ and we are separating ourselves from all other love interests and we are devoting ourselves to Christ alone. This is a time where we purify ourselves, where we remain faithful to Jesus Christ. And that was what Paul, a skeptic himself, I might add, until he had a face-to-face encounter with the risen Christ, was speaking to in his second letter to the Corinthians. So here's what I want you to do. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And as you're going there, allow me just a moment to give you some context. Just to give you a little bit of what was happening at this moment when Paul was writing this letter. The whole letter was written to address a defection from the faith that was occurring in the city of Corinth. The Christians had begun entertaining false apostles and false teachers, and obviously their false teachings. And as a result of that, we're now actually abandoning the faith, the true faith of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, writing this second letter, is calling them back to the genuine faith through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse number 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. Now, let me just say this really quickly. What he means there is that he is about, in this chapter, to start defending his credentials as an apostle. Because they were coming under attack by these false apostles and false teachers. And he says it's foolishness. He doesn't want to defend himself, but he feels like the attacks have gotten so severe that he finally has to defend his credentials. And he said, so bear with me in a little folly. Then he goes on to say these important words. Listen, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin. ...to Christ. As I was studying that portion of Scripture this past week... ...I I thought of a way to break it down... ...and in breaking it down here this morning... ...I just want to look at two things that Paul addresses here. First, his focus and then his fear. His focus and then his fear. First of all, he speaks to us of his focus. His focus as an apostle... ...or more importantly, he, he is giving us his focus as a spiritual father... He says, you have had many teachers, but there is one Father. I have begotten you to Christ. He says, I am your spiritual Father. And that focus was to present each one of them a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, understand, again, that in this whole imagery of marriage, Paul is looking through the lens of the Jewish process of marriage, which, as I said a moment ago, would begin with what is known as a betrothal period. Now, the betrothal period was similar to our engagement, yet it was much more forceful. In that day, it was legally, morally, and spiritually binding. And it was only in death or divorce that you could get out of the betrothal agreement. Only through death or divorce. That's how binding it was. And during this time you were expected to remain faithful and any unfaithfulness would result in either death or in divorce. And you may know most famously that this was the issue facing Joseph when he discovered that during their betrothal period, Mary was with child. Now, he didn't believe her story initially, that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She thought, or he thought, that she had been unfaithful to him. And so his first thought was not to have her stoned, which he legally could have done, but rather to quietly and very discreetly divorce her so that she could go on with her life and that he could go on with his. And then obviously the angel said, no, this is of the Holy Spirit of God. This is the Son of God and he changes his heart and he continues to marry her. But that was how binding a betrothal period was. The only way out of it would have been through death or divorce. And during that betrothal period, it was expected that you would remain faithful and that you would remain pure and you would have no other relationships. The betrothal, as many of you know also, usually lasted a full year and it gave time for the groom to go back to his father's house and to build on to his father's house so he could prepare a living for his bride. And then he would come back and receive his bride in the wedding ceremony. Until the actual wedding, the bride was under the protective care and custody of her father. And believe it or not, dads, think about this. It was the father's responsibility to guard the sexual purity and faithfulness of his daughter so that when the wedding day came, he could march her in to her husband and say, I've guarded and protected her. She is faithful and she is pure for you this day. That was his responsibility. And this is what Paul is thinking of. He saw himself as a spiritual father to all who had received Christ under his care and that he had been shouldered with the responsibility of guarding the purity and the faithfulness of the Christians there in the city of Corinth. And now Paul couldn't make them stay pure. It wasn't his ability to make them stay pure, to make them stay faithful to God, but he could at least warn them He could at least speak truth to them. He could at least counsel them and correct them and discipline them when they needed to be. He could warn them and expose false teachers and false teachings that would seek to threaten the purity of the Christian. And that was his focus. He said, every time I stand before you and I open up the Word of God, my intent is to remind you that you have a groom that is preparing a place for you. And one day he's coming to receive you to himself and until that day, stay pure, stay faithful to your living God and have no other lovers in your life. That was his focus. And The jealousy that he speaks of here, it's not a selfish or a self-centered jealousy that we think of. He actually says it is a godly jealousy. God is love. So this would be a loving jealousy. It is a protective jealousy that arises from the understanding that he possessed that Christ is the only one that will care for his bride and that anyone else that would seek to draw the church's heart away would use and abuse them and ultimately leave them for destruction, not just on this earth, but eternal destruction separated from almighty God. And so he would stand before for the people week after week and day after day and say stay faithful to Christ stay faithful to Christ it'll be worth it all when you see him because he's coming again and I gotta tell you I had fun studying this this past week if you can't tell because I feel the same sense of responsibility as your pastor you know it's hard because <laughs> there are things that I was reluctant to say when I was 28 and I first came here that I say very easily today at 51. I realize that God has given me a responsibility to be a spiritual father to this church. It doesn't mean that I'm more mature than all of you. I am more mature than some of you, but maybe not. It doesn't mean that God speaks to me any more than he does to you. It doesn't mean that I'm greater than you. It just means that for whatever reason, God lifted a man from Maine and brought me down to New Jersey to be a spiritual father to this church. And it is my God-given responsibility to come to this sacred desk every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time you come and see me in my office to give to you a word from your groom, Jesus Christ, and to remind you how much He loves you, how much He cares about you, how He is madly in love with you, all that He has prepared for you and all that He's preparing for you, and to remind you that He wants you to be faithful faithful to him and he wants you to be pure to him and also to warn you from any spiritual lover that would seek to entice you with flattery in an attempt to draw you away into an affair that will use and abuse you and leave you for eternal destruction. Folks, listen to me. Whether we understand it completely or not, spiritual adultery is a real thing. We can cheat on Jesus. We can have an affair and there's not one of us in this room that, that think highly of those who have strayed from their marital vows and have cheated on their spouse. Now listen, how many of you are thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that covers all sin? Okay, we are and I know, not that I, I know because I know, but I just know when a crowd decides that that has been a sin, and I'm thankful that God looks at that sinner and says, go and sin no more. And I'm thankful for the mercy of God. But we know how devastating an affair is, and it's no less devastating when we cheat on Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, He wrote about it. He said in James chapter 4, verse 4, Adulterers and adulteresses, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Please see that James is writing to Christians He's not writing to unbelievers and he calls them adulterers and adulteresses because they have been friends with the world and made themselves enemies with God. And by the way, enemies of God will not be welcomed into the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter whether you profess to be a Christian. This is what James is saying. If you make yourself a friend of the world you've made yourself an enemy of God and there is no place in his kingdom for you. John talked about it in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He says, do not love the world. And I should stop here right now while I'm thinking about it. The word world there is not talking about the citizens of the world. He's not talking about not having friends that are in the world. That's not the point he's making. The world here is talking about a mindset that is anti-Christ. It is is an organized thought process that is anti-Christ, that is anti-God. And he says, "Do, do not love the world's mindset. Because if anyone loves the world and its mindset, the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Your heart is too small. You'll love one and hate the other. It's just that simple. You can't walk This fence between righteousness and the world. You can't do it. He says it's just impossible. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, those things that appeal to our appetites, to our desires, to what we want, those things that satisfy us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, which is talking about imaginations, our thought life, anything that satisfies us intellectually, And the pride of life, anything that allows me to be God, that is what is in the world. It's not from the Father, it's from the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. John said, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And you can satisfy yourself with the things of this world, but understand that all that is in the world and all that loves the world will pass away, and only those who do the will of God will abide forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, it's often overlooked, but his prayer there in the garden was more than, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The prayer is expounded upon in John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for not only the disciples at that time, but later he would say, I'm praying for all who will come after them. So even he was praying for you and me then. And this is his prayer. Father, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one, the God of this world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. That word sanctify just means set apart. That's what sanctify means. It means set apart. So sanctify them, set them apart from the world by your truth. Listen, your word is truth. Jesus said, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world. I need them in the world so that they will propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ from one generation to the next. That they will go into the highways and the byways and they will compel men and women to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He said, my prayer is that you would keep them from the evil one. And we do that through the truth. And the truth is the word of God. That's what he's saying. That the word of God shows us what our group, Groom demands of our lives so that we will continually come out of the world and be like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You ask why I preach the way that I do and why sometimes I get a little tight in this place. It's because that's my focus. It's my call. I have been called to watch over you as a spiritual father, not to lord over you, but rather to warn you to stay pure and unblemished for the coming of our groom so that one day I can present you you, a chaste virgin to the living God Almighty so that there are no regrets, but you have an eternity with your Lord and Savior in Jesus' mighty name. Come on. Somebody give God the praise. Amen. Now, that was his focus. But now I want to talk to you quickly about his fear. What was his fear? He said this is my focus, really, because this is my fear. Verse 3. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He said, the reason that my focus is to present you a chaste virgin before the Lord is because my fear is that in the same way that Satan, through the serpent, deceived Eve with his craftiness, um, with how he studied her and her tendencies, because that's really what it means there, that Satan, he didn't just throw anything out, he took time watching Eve, listening to Eve, watched her tendencies, listened to the things that came out of her mouth, and then when it was ready, he struck He says, my fear is that in the same way Satan did this through the serpent, that these false teachers have corrupted your minds from the simplicity and the purity that is in Christ. He says, my fear is that there have been these false teachers and these false apostles that have crept into your life and they have corrupted your minds and you have departed from the simplicity and the purity that is in Christ our Lord. I was just looking at this. I didn't intend to say this, but I was looking at it just while we were worshiping here. If you go down into verse 13, and it's not on the side because I just did this right now. But in verse 13, he says this, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, Satan's ministers, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works or that they will end in destruction. And what Paul is saying here is that these false apostles have transformed themselves into apostles that appear to be showing you a way of righteousness. But what they're really doing is they're corrupting your mind and you're departing from the simplicity and the purity that is in Christ our Lord. Now what does that all mean? When I think of the word corrupt there, my mind immediately goes to someone who is on the computer and they're searching the internet and as they search the internet, they get a virus. How many of you have ever had a virus on your computer or any of your devices? Okay, you know what a tragedy that is because once you get a virus, it corrupts your computer, it compromises your information and depending on how bad the virus is, no matter what you enter in, it always gets corrupted. And I immediately think of that because there's some of us, we are spending so much time in the world. We are spending so much time thinking about the things of the world that we don't even know that we've picked up a virus that has corrupted our mind and we don't even realize that we're drifting away from the living God Almighty. He says you're, you're corrupting yourself from the simplicity and the purity of Christ Jesus, the simplicity. I love that word because I, I like things simple. How many of you like things simple? I think the life is too complicated. So I'm looking for anything that is simple. And it's very simple. And using the illustration of marriage, he's saying, you know what? Marriage is pretty simple. And I know some of you are saying, Pastor Kurt, Now I was with you until right then. Because my marriage isn't simple. But I mean, the reality is marriage is really simple. Love your wives, respect your husband, and don't cheat on each other. I mean, come on, can I get a better amen than that? I mean, that's it marriage isn't rocket science. Love your wives. Respect your husband. Don't cheat on each other. That is marriage in a nutshell. Now, I know we want to make it more complicated and more confusing. We want to spend $100 an hour with a marriage counselor or sit down and give us five steps to a better marriage. But at the end of the day, all marriage is love your wives, respect your husband, don't cheat on each other. Guys, guys, listen, just hang with me. I got to park it here for just a second. Guys, look up at me really quickly. Even if you're not listening to anything else I say, please, this will help you. Okay? This is how you become an excellent husband love your wife like Christ loves the church. Now, I admit, and it's all the ladies that are clapping, by the way. Okay? Now, I admit that that's going to take some research because you're going to have to look in the Bible and see how Jesus loves his church. Paul went on a little bit there and said, and gave himself for her. Come on, say amen or ouch, guys. That's how you're to love your wife, giving your life for her. He says, love your wife like Christ loves the church. Don't cheat on her and she will follow you wherever you go. Thank you for that week. Amen, ladies. Seriously, guys, that's all God says. Love your wife like Christ loves the church. Don't cheat on her. And your wife will follow you you into hell with a squirt gun. She will never leave your side. And ladies, okay, now it's your turn. Ladies, this is what Jesus says of you. You want a great marriage? Respect your husband as you would Christ. And don't cheat on him. And your husband will love you to the day you die. That's just a reality, folks. It's that simple. I know. You say, Pastor Kurt, no, it's more than that. No, it isn't. I'm telling you guys, love your wife like Christ loves a church, and don't cheat on her. Ladies, you respect your husband as you would Jesus, and don't cheat on him, and you will have a wonderful, wonderful marriage. Here endeth the lesson in Jesus' name. Okay? That's simple. Do it. You'll thank me later. I mean it. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying a relationship with Jesus isn't that hard. This is all he wants you to do. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And don't cheat on him. He says, you want to make it so much more complicated because it's that these super apostles, he's going to call them super apostles, this is what they're trying to tell him, we're going to take you into new revelation. We're going to take you into deeper things than Paul ever said. Paul says, you can't get any deeper than loving Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and don't cheat on him. Don't love anyone more than you love Jesus. Wake up every day and say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I want to live for you. Because I know that what you have planned for me is so much better than what I have planned for my life. Listen, I didn't, this isn't the life I planned. I went through a stretch where I wanted to be an actor. I love acting, okay? You guys think it's Pastor Joe that's got the chops, (laughs) <laughs> I'm teasing I love acting and I wanted to do that and I realized boy I'm going to have to sell my soul to the devil to be in acting then there was a time I wanted to be a lawyer <laughs> I don't know I think I, think I could have done that one too but there came a moment in my life where I had to surrender or, or be my own God And I didn't like the thought of being my own God because I'd made a lot of mistakes. All Jesus says, love me. Live for me. And don't cheat on me. Because right now what you can't see is I am preparing for you things you can't even begin to imagine. And if you'll just hang in there, I'm going to come and receive you one day that where I am, there you may be also in jesus name that 's simplicity, and Paul said, "My fear is that you 're drifting from that, and his fear was relieved was realized in this verse four: for if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, and if you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel." which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He said, my fear has been realized because even now among you, you have heard a presentation of a Jesus that is not the Jesus. You've received a spirit that is not the Holy Spirit and you are right now humbling yourself to a gospel that is not even the gospel. These super apostles, and that's what he calls them. He, he's sarcastically calling them super apostles. He goes, these super apostles, if he was today, he'd be saying, those televangelists. <laughs> he says, they're drawing you Christians into spiritual adultery because they're propping up and they are presenting to you today a package that looks like the Christian faith, but is nothing more than a deceptive lie. And if you keep following it, you will be lost for all of eternity. He says they're presenting to you another Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. He says these men are clever. They've watched you, they've studied you, just like Satan did with Eve. They've listened to you, they watch watched your struggles, and then they went into their dens of iniquity, and they manufactured, and they engineered, and they crafted the kind of Jesus, the kind of spirit, and the kind of gospel you want to hear that will accommodate you. And then they presented it, and you're like, wow, we never heard this before. And you followed it, and you don't even realize that you're following it into It is mental and spiritual idolatry. And I'm telling you, folks, it is happening all over this globe today. You know, we say that in the last days, there will be a great falling away from the faith. Folks, it's not coming. It's already here. We're falling away from the real faith. It's mental and spiritual idolatry We have crafted in this country a Jesus we're comfortable with, a gospel that we're comfortable with, a spirit that we are comfortable with, and we serve this idolatrous image as Christ, but we don't serve the Christ from Scripture. There's a Jesus that is being worshipped in this country that is not the Christ that is revealed in the eyewitness accounts that we hold in our hands. It is a Christ who no longer is to be feared. A Christ who is no longer to be revered. It is a Christ who would never judge or send anyone to hell. That's the Jesus that we have today. We have a spirit who no longer empowers us to live overcoming lives and convicts us of sin, of righteousness and judgment, but rather it's a spirit that just makes us feel good. And we have a gospel that does not confront us, but provides a twisted understanding of grace where grace now becomes a license for me to live my life exactly like I want to with no fear of judgment at all. But it is not the gospel of Christ. And it is drawing men and women away in masses. I had you know, so many illustrations I could give you, but I'm going to Finish this up. In fact, Will, you can come up. Um, I had to deal with a couple of families in in just the last few weeks, and some that are not even involved in in Bethel anymore. But but continually tell their children, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, continually allow their children to believe that they're saved. But when I look at the characteristics of a disciple of Christ in this book, there is no evidence at all to suggest that their children ever knew the Lord, ever. But they continue to tell their children, no, no, you're saved. You, you say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You watch, you know, TV preachers and an occasional service on the internet. So you're saved. You came to an altar when you were five years old. You're saved. And, and, and they damn their children eternally for lying to them. Folks, being saved is more than what we've made it today. When when you're saved, there is such a dramatic transformation that occurs within you that wild horses couldn't keep you out of the house of God on a Sunday, couldn't keep you from building intimate relationships with other believers, couldn't keep you from being forgiving, from being loving and compassionate and having hope and self-control and the fruit of the Spirit. Like, where did did we ever come up with this idea that I can define faith the way I'm comfortable with and as long as I'm sincere, it's okay? No, folks. This is the truth and it sets the standard by which we are called to live chaste lives, though. it's not my invented. And some of you, you know, you, you're going you're to have to face this. You may not like what I'm saying, but you consistently tell your children that they're saved when they're not. And their blood will be upon your hand one day. You're going to love your children enough to be able to say to them, you don't know the Lord. I love you. But I'm not going to allow you To slip into eternity thinking that you're where you need to be with Christ. And some of us need to have that hard discussion with our own lives. Because some of us, like I said at the beginning, we're just dating Jesus. We're not married to him. And we cheat on him regularly. I want to end with this. And don't worry, there's a second part to this message, okay? Just because you're like, holy cow, man, like give us hope. Yeah, I will in a couple of weeks, okay? <laughs> I didn't intend this to be a series. I got another half hour to go, but I, I have already invited somebody to preach here next Sunday and he's going to be here. So you're going to have to wait two weeks, but you'll have to come back if you want hope, okay? <laughs> like, okay? So i give you a couple of weeks to really get convicted, all right? In closing, I, I was thinking about this. Many of you know Proverbs 7 is a warning against adultery. And it was King Solomon's perspective. He's looking through the lattice work. And he sees a young man being seduced by a married woman. And he sees this whole thing going down. And this is his observation. With much justifying and enticing argument, she persuades him. With the allurements of her lips, she leads him to overcome his conscience and fears and forces him along. Suddenly, he yields and follows her reluctantly like an ox moving to the slaughter, like one in fetters going to the correction to be given to a fool, or like a dog enticed by food to the muzzle, till a dart of passion pierces and inflames his vitals. In other words, that is a fatal blow. Then like a bird fluttering straight into a net, He hastens, not knowing that it will cost him his life. And the reality is, some of us have been listening to justifying and enticing arguments of why we can live the way we want to and not worry about our faith. And we're being persuaded by them, by the allurements of the lips of this world, And if we don't stop, it will overcome our conscience and our fears. Some of you are violating your conscience right now and your fears of an eternity in hell. And and every time you do it, every time you go there, every time you see them, every time you watch that, every time you feel convicted, but you justify it. And eventually, you're going to overcome your conscience and your fears and you're going to yield to it not knowing That'll cost you your life. Folks, this world is passing away faster than you could ever imagine. But eternity will never pass away. If you want to be right with God, that's got to be done now. We're the bride of Christ, and we need to be holy unto him in Jesus' name. Light like everyone.